First Kings chapter 12 this evening. I've been looking forward to this chapter. I would uh, like it if there were a lot more young men and women here this evening. The title of this evening's message is The Migraine Committee. <laughs> An intense, throbbing headache that will not be easily stopped. That is a migraine. It can be incapacitating and prevent you from functioning in a normal way for sure. This is a painful chapter to read, and, uh, but, but in a constructive way. I mean, it's other painful tra- chapters, and they just keep pulling you down. These, you're reading it, and you say, boy, I'm glad that's not me. But I know some people who this is, <laughs> or something close to that. Uh, I, the youth need to pay particularly attention to what goes on in this chapter. Uh, surprisingly, the guilty parties are not young. They're in their 40s. So don't think that the Bible is singling out, you know, the teens or the young adults and saying, you're the ones that, you, you are the ones that need it, of course, but it's certainly not limited to you. And uh, we live in a place in history where we can easily forget that throughout history, many people have had political power who did not deserve it, don't deserve it. They managed to get it, and they're real good at holding on to it. And this is the story of the kings. G.K. Chesterton said, it is terrible to contemplate how few politicians are hanged. In 1921, he wrote wrote that. There are no heroes in this chapter, uh, unfortunately. But again, the lessons, they abound. So we look now at verse 1 as we approach the migraine committee. And Rehoboam sent to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Verse 2, so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, verse 3, that he sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Jeroboam. So Shechem is in Ephraim's territory. They're going north to crown Uh, Rehoboam king. He's 41 years old. He will reign for 17 years. We are almost a thousand years from the birth of Christ, 930, give or take, years. And it is difficult to believe that King Solomon had no other sons. I I mean, it's not, you know, we say it almost hyperbole, you know, a thousand wives. No, he had a thousand wives. Uh, concubines, wives, together. And so you, you say, no way could he have had one child unless, you know, there was a, a condition that emerged afterward, after the first child. But it is a fact. He's the only one mentioned. I think that there were so many of them that it was pointless to mention them uh, because there was no significance. To, to just, they had no significant role, so don't bother. A thousand wives, if each one had a, ch- a son, and this is conservative, I mean, a thousand sons. Who I would like to be a sneaker salesman in that town. But anyway, 
I think that he did have a lot of sons, and I also think that there's just no point in mentioning them. Rehoboam is the one. I don't. I also feel that Solomon had no confidence in Rehoboam. In his Ecclesiastes, and I would not want my dad to write this in his, you know, his memoirs about about me. Ecclesiastes two. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. This is a bum deal. And so he he knows he's not saying it outright. My son, Rehoboam, will be king. But he knew he was the crown prince. That's who he has in mind. And history bears it out that whatever concerns Solomon had about Rehoboam, they were valid. This son, Rehoboam, he begins with God's blessings and he ends an apostate. Moose, big surprise. Second Chronicles chapter 11 So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because he walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. And then chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established a kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of Yahweh and all Israel along with him. So uh, that's how it begins and ends with this one. A lesson for us. We look at this and say, I, I don't want to... Look, I, I may not overcome all my faults. I, I will not. I'm faults before the Lord. But I will go to my grave despising them because of the Lord. And not, you know, one, I, I wish I had more self-control so I could take better control of my life. Well, that's fine, but someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ can say that too. It's more with us. We want control over our lives, but we want to please our Lord. And that matters everything to him. He's very much to Jesus Christ. Well, this falling away that is coming, uh, and, well, he's, like I said, in his 40s. It's incidentally, being in his 40s means that he cannot blame his youth for this profound stupidity that is coming. And had he adhered to the Lord... Uh, early in his life, very unlikely he would he would be anything like this. Well, here's another question, or I don't know if I've asked any yet, but I'm asking one now. Why Shechem and not Jerusalem? At least Shiloh. Well, Shechem, is rich in Hebrew history. You can't list everything that we know about Shechem, but here are just four of them. At Shechem, Abraham built his first altar to the Lord in the promised land. At Shechem, Simeon and Levi, brothers, sons of Jacob, led a vendetta of slaughter against the Shechemites for violating their their sister, Dinah. And then Joseph. Joseph was sold to the uh, Ammonites, uh, there in Shechem. And then also in Shechem, Joshua gave that f- famous speech. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Shechem, rich in history, 
at this point in Israel's history. You could look back at Shechem and say, well, there's a lot that went on there that had to do with our people and Yahweh. But still, it's not Jerusalem. Well, the best I can come up with is that Jeroboam, this is Ray, the king, Jeroboam, who fled to Egypt, found exile there, uh, a sanctuary there in his exile, he is, after Solomon dies, he's coming back now. He's not going to feel safe in Jerusalem. That's Solomon's clan. And he knew Solomon had a hit out on him because of the prophet Ahijah prophesying that he was going to take ten nations under his wing. And the leaders, of course, are in touch with Jeroboam. They're arranging the coronation and they said, well, how about Shechem? You know, we don't, we, we did, you know, too much in Jerusalem. Let's do it here, something like that. And uh, if I were Jeroboam, I know that there would be people from Judah that would want me dead rather than uh, fulfill that prophecy. So I wouldn't want to head to Jeroboam either. And this would be some of what was going on in the, well, how are we going to crown the king? All the tribes had a say-so. I think Rehoboam would rather not have gone to Shechem, but he really didn't have much choice when, you, when you've got that, uh, that much uh, momentum on the side of the tribes. You've got to give a little, take a little, and he's listening to his counselors likely at that point. But I also think it annoyed him. And this is going to play into the, the dialogue between the ten tribes of the north and Rehoboam. He's going to want to kind of stick it to these guys because he seems to be very quick to not accept any uh, peaceful terms uh, with them concerning their requests. Well, Egypt, well, back to Jeremiah just briefly, he made a lot of friends when he worked in Jerusalem under the leader of the negotiation and also the center of arrangement for its venue there in Shechem. Now, back to Egypt, Egypt being a cosmopolitan city. I mean, people from all over the world, we, we read often in the, this time in history of the Jews how many people were finding refuge uh, in, in Egypt. And now he's going to head back home, just like the Edomite in the last chapter when he found out that Solomon was dead. He left Egypt also to uh, engage in unfinished business. So the term here, the, uh, the term all Israel refers, of course, to the tribal leaders, the VIPs, and the wannabes, and all the support staff. Uh, these are the ones heading to Shechem. It's not, you know, the farmers are still doing their thing. The, the pottery, the makers are doing their thing. So uh, it's, it's not like every single person is heading up to Shechem. Well, verse 4 your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, verse 5, depart for three days and come back to me. And the people departed. So they're in Shechem. Jeroboam is, is here speaking. It is a fair request. Solomon heavily taxed the people to fund all of his building projects. It wasn't only the temple, but there were other things he was building all over the place. That palace, uh, the harem, I mean, he just... 
all of that, and forced labor too. That didn't go over well with the Jews. That they weren't enslaved, but they were forced to work. Um, anyway, this is the last wise decision we read coming from Rehoboam. Is give me three days. That's the best he can do, and it is just not going to be enough. Verse six. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? So he's playing the role of a king. He watched his dad do it enough. And so he says to the counselors that advised Solomon, what do you think? Proverbs eleven fourteen. Incidentally, as we go through this and we read the, some Proverbs, we realize that the book of Proverbs was written in the Martian language, and no one had yet translated it, so they didn't know these Proverbs. This is a, the, what happens if you do not avail yourself of the resources. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Yeah, I mean, if you think you just, you know, you don't need any other opinions, you got it. I mean, every now and then that is the case. But uh, overall, we benefit greatly from those around us. It's a, a brain trust. You, you have these... There's so many people. Some, so many people are unassuming. You think that, you know, they're not really, have nothing to offer, and then you engage them, and you find out there's a wealth of wisdom or knowledge uh, and, and, and other things. So be careful. Some have entertained angels unaware. Anyway, verse 7, And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them. These are the counselors telling Solomon how he should answer them. Solomon's counselors telling now. Now they're Rehoboam's counselors. Verse 7, I'm still in there. And answer them and speak good words to them. Then they will be your servants forever. You have a golden opportunity here, Rehoboam. A soft answer, Proverbs 15.1. Turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah, it doesn't take much to throw out a nasty little word that messes up everything. You can't take it back. And some folks will never forgive you for it. Others, some of the others, they, they'll forgive you, but they'll always remember. And then some, they just know how to handle it. And they, you know, let's get past this. We all make mistakes and let's move on. The nobler ones in that area. And it's hard sometimes when your feelings have been really, you know, you've been punched in the gut and chopped in the throat by some harsh words. It's hard to get past it until you begin to go to the Lord with it. That's what I have found. Um, anyway, verse 8, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. Why? Why did he reject that sound advice? Even an unbeliever would have done better than what he's going to do. Even an unbeliever would have said, you know, that's a good idea. It's not gonna, what's it going to cost us to yield a little bit? Uh, we're not going to lose anything. Yeah, let's do it that. You get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. It is a good proverb. It's true. But I'm also, and I hope... I would imagine others are too. What qualified these young high school buddies of Solomon to even be in the room, let alone give advice on kingdom affairs? Nothing. 
So now, now the lessons are beginning to open up for us as uh, the youth. When, when you ask one of your friends something about advice, ask yourself, what qualifies them? Well, they might be just good and on your side and have good advice, but not enough. Is that advice sound? How would you know? Uh, who do you appeal to? Get a second opinion. Being in close proximity to the king does not somehow qualify you. You could be in close proximity to somebody and catch a disease. Qualifications, though, qualifications are an obstacle to the arrogant. Arrogant people think they're above qualifications. They just know it. It's them, after all. I, I can't. Who can explain an arrogant? I don't think I've ever been arrogant. I'm sure I've been charged with it. But I don't recall ever thinking that I was just qualified. Um, I mean, what, your appendix is bothering you? I'll take care of that. I mean, how hard can it be? You don't really need it. Uh, of course, that's an exaggeration, but... Um, I learned to stay alive by not pretending to do, be able to do what I couldn't do. In, in my background, if, if you pretended to do what you couldn't, you were dead. Verse 9, and he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Well, what they should have advised him is said, look, Rehoboam, we go way back. We've been you know, buddies for what? 35, 40 years. Why don't you listen to the elders? Look at the kingdom. They, they had a big say-so, and Jerusalem is the center of the world right now. Why don't we listen to them? No, that's not what they say. They're obligated to resist the elders. Again, Proverbs 1.5. Now, I've translated this from the Martian into English. Uh, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Yeah, unless your name is Rehoboam. And there have been many Rehoboams ever since. A.W. Tozier talks about, he went to hear a, a sermon, and he was talking about, well, if I can just get one nugget from a sermon, I, you know, that's, that's a lot. Now, I'll take that. And he says, I don't remember the preacher's name, and I wish I remembered, I'd give him credit for this saying, but Tozer writes, this is what he got, he says, listen to no man who fails to listen to God. Well, that registered with Tozer. We, we know this, I mean, the, the, even the Proverbs, go from the presence of a foolish man, when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. But still, to hear it from another, is, it just strikes a chord, and it did with Tozer, so much so he it ends up in his book, The Root of the Righteous. And then he goes on to say, now this is really good. I couldn't say it this good, but I could say it. But then I'd be charged with being, well, that's just you because you don't like anything. And I really don't like that. I, I like the old Puritan Richard Baxter. He said, everything is wrong till God sets it right. And uh, I, I believe that. I mean, when you tell me, hey, there's a new thing out in the church well, we're going to take that to the Bible and see if God says it's a good thing or a bad thing. But I'm not jumping on that just because it's on Christian radio. Well, here's the word from Toja. In any group of ten persons, at least nine are sure to believe that they are qualified to offer advice to others. 
And in no other field of human interests are people as ready to offer advice as in the field of religion and morals. Yet, it is precisely in this field that the average person is least qualified to speak wisely and is capable of the most harm when he does speak. Leave it to Toja to insult guilty people. For this reason, we should select our counselors carefully. And selection inevitably carries with it the idea of rejection. So if you say, you know, I'm going to listen to you, that means you're going to also have to say you're not going to listen to somebody else who has a different opinion. So be ready for that. And then he finishes, he buttons this. Actually, the section I have in my notes on my computer, it's almost the whole section. I've had to shrink it down because it's, it's just so rich. Anyway, he says, true moral wisdom must always be an echo of God's voice. You just, you know, this is why, you know, my pastor, uh, I, don't, I don't know that he was the only one. I know he wasn't, actually. Tozer was known as a modern-day prophet. Not that he was opening up new information. We don't need new, inf- new revelations from God right now. We need fresh experiences in the existing revelations. And that was my pastor's position. It's, it's my position, too. Well, Tozer just had this ability to apply logic that was otherwise missed by a, a large majority of people. And here we have these counselors that think they're qualified to offer advice to others without any qualification. Rehoboam listened to men who had not listened to God. And, of course, subsequent events prove that. The whole future of Israel was adversely affected because of these headache-giving people. Again, Proverbs 14, 7, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. You come across somebody and say, this guy, what is he talking about? That's prosperity teaching. Well, that's Jehovah Witness jumbo, mumbo. Uh, you, say, you know what? I'm, I'm not even going to stay around this. I'm going to go from the presence. Come out, come out, come out from them, Paul said. He was, Paul was so concerned about Christians who just, I fear that Satan is going to seduce you as he did with Eve. Well, it is especially important that young people learn Who's counsel to trust? And if you have decent parents, most people that attend here, if not all, I think, among the youth do. Um, but anyway, as youth, you've not been in the world long enough to get experience. There's no shame in that. It, experience comes from time, you know, flying hours. It's just no shortcut to to experience, although some can pick up things faster than others, granted. But experience means you've you've been around a bit to take a couple of hits and come up with uh, a response, a mental response. So it's okay to look to others for advice, especially in the formative years. Uh, Independence from decent parents and decent elders. Now, this is important, I think is not a virtue. It's not a virtue to be independent 
of decent people. It, it, is, a, it is a liability to be de- uh, independent from them. Interdependence, that's the virtue. That's the whole meaning of the church, the body of Christ, where Paul says, listen, the eye and the hand have different functions, but we need them. You know, the, the, the more uh, uh, private parts, you know, they're valuable. All they need to do is go wrong to remind you how valuable they are. Uh, let's be careful about the difference between dependence and interdependence. Uh, and, and not saying you need to be dependent interdependence. Okay, well, that's, it is a virtue. Interdependence is a virtue in this neck of the woods, in this life. Uh, you just, you go loony if you're not around people after a while. I look, I, I have a little light in my head that after I've spent so many hours with people, it comes on and says, get out immediately. <laughs> eject, eject. You've got to get away from them. It doesn't matter who it is. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's expanded since I've been a pastor. It used to be three minutes. But it's greatly expanded, and and I don't really have that too much now. Uh, I don't know where I was linking that to. Oh, so, uh, you. but that doesn't mean that I want to be away from people and stay that way. And after a while, you start getting lonely. Some some get lonely. Some just start getting kooky. (laughs) They can't. They skip the lonely. They go right to insanity. Anyway, verse 10. Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. Why? Why? I mean, it's it's, it's insulting. It's not even, instead of just saying, No, you got to go ahead and say, My little pinky is going to be so much more powerful and impressive to you than anything you've ever experienced. The young men here, in contrast to the elders of verse 6, again, in their 40s, 40 years of developed arrogance and incompetence, and it was all now on parade right before us. Youth cannot be blamed for this profound stupidity. You can't say, oh, they're just young kids. Why then does he say young men? That's going to be good. Because the Hebrew word here, translated young men, is almost always described as a child. Children. Youngsters as a stretch. No age limit put on it, but it, it's, it means a child. When referring to Jeroboam back in chapter 11 as a young man that impressed Solomon, it's a different Hebrew word. Why not use that word for these men? It's more more appropriate. Because these children who had grown up without maturing, the historian is taking a sarcastic shot at them. He's calling them kids. These kids. Now, it's an insult. If you were 40 years old and someone said, what are you, a kid? What, you don't know any better? You you know, it's it's not a flattering I, and it's not uncommon in the Old Testament, amongst the prophets, in the hist- historical writings, sarcasm is a tool. God himself, keep on hearing, keep on listening, God says. See what happens to you. I mean, this is, uh, sometimes it's what it takes. If you can't reach the lost, 
with sarcasm, it might stabilize those who are not, who are drifting, drifting away from what is right. About 300 years later, Isaiah will deliver this emphatic message in the third chapter. I will give, God speaking through the prophet in Isaiah 3, verse 4, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Now, of course, they're not little babies, you know, ruling, you know, lifting up the the, the rattler instead of the scepter. Uh, He's talking about the behavior of adults who are really not developed mentally, cannot do the job, not well, not in their favor. He goes on, Isaiah does. I said emphatic. Well, here's the emphasis. That was verse 4. Then verse 12, he comes back to it. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. That is sarcasm. He is telling the the people, your leaders are messed up. And that's what the historian is saying. These kids, these kids had grown up, but they're still kids. And these are the ones that spoke to Solomon with this gibberish because You you read this and you say, only a madman would have such a response. You can't write it off to say, well, the culture at that. Nonsense. The elders called it right. Look, lighten up on these guys. Arrogance. Let's define it. Having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. The Bible would say it this way. Self-exaltation. Not those words, but the teaching. The the dictionary leaves out the motive for arrogance in the heart, which is self-exaltation. I shall be like the Most High. I shall exalt my stars with the Most High. I mean, that's arrogance. You have no right to think such a thing. You have not the capability. But yet, it doesn't stop you. And this is what the youth need to learn. How, how to get the youth to be aggressive and confident without becoming arrogant. Well, others have done it. Non-Christians have done it. There are heroes out there that have excelled in sports and other fields who just had this confidence. There are scientists that just knew they could you know, develop a cure or do this or that. And they had this confidence without arrogance. Not all of them. But it is doable. Truth, wisdom. Kindness, interdependence, all of those clash with arrogance. They don't mix with arrogance. Arrogance needs to bystep, uh, bypass truth and wisdom and kindness. And we're looking at them do that. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about the wisdom of the elders. They don't care about even being kind. They're being mean with their response. Say, oh, my little pinky. The sole reason behind their having access to the king was the alumni. It's like saying, well, we were in the military together. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that now all of a sudden everything's going to be just automatic. We went to the same school together. We went to the same college together. It's practiced all the time. Merit, merit and is then bypassed for some, and then cronyism takes, takes the lead. These men were ill-suited for the task. But you couldn't tell them that. You couldn't tell their parents that. Here they were. And Rehoboam, you know, it just gives you a headache, these people. The the, the elders, when they heard this, 
could you just imagine the look on their face? Huh? No, come on. Stop kidding with me. This is a serious matter. No, that's what they said. Well, anyway, back here to verse 10, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you. No respect for these elders. And I think the historian is capturing that. Um, Likely verbatim, because these would be official records. And they would have been preserved at that time. But what did these kids know? Um, I think they just felt part of it. Part of it was they felt obligated to resist the elders. You know, old school, what does it know? Cronyism uh, embedded them in the king's court. And therefore, you know, they must know what they're talking about. And so we say to the young, young believers, pick good friends and avoid the bad ones. It's not complicated. You won't miss out. Satan comes along and says, so, yeah, but you're not going to find anybody that's fun or anybody that to look up to. It's, it's a lie. It is a lie. Use your Bibles. Don't just come to church and sit there and take notes, and that's it. It's got to get into your life. It's got to show up. Again, 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And that's a light way of, that's a lighter translation, you know. Don't be suckered. Maybe that will stick better. Nobody likes to be cheated. I mean, if you went to the cash register, and when I grew up, there was a such thing as cash. It was paper and coin. And if you were cheated a penny, it grated on you. I mean, it was a penny. But it was my penny. Uh, I don't know, maybe the rest of you had pennies. Pennies, I hate pennies. They're useless anyway. Anyway, nobody likes to be cheated. And so when you read in the Bible of the promises, of the lessons from God saying, do not be deceived. Don't be cheated. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. A finger is really not in the original Hebrew, but it is the, the obvious fit. There are some theories on other things, uh, but I'm not going to go into them because you just can't prove it. But it's probably a, a proverbial expression. My force is going to be greater than his force. My weakness is going to be stronger than his weakness. My pinky, you know, oh, my weakness is going to be stronger than his strength. Because my pinky stronger than his waist kind of a thing. Uh, verse, verse 11 now. And, and now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add you. To your yoke, my father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges. So there's still this, the migraine committee telling the king what to say. It's unnecessarily harsh. Why? It is especially important that young people learn whose counsel to trust and then to act on it. I have had the privilege of having many good counselors before I became a Christian. Uh, they just would take me under their wing. I mean, they would usually. It wasn't. It wasn't just because you know. Hey, we like you. You you got to earn it. I was a hard worker, even if I didn't know what I was doing all the time. I worked hard and I submitted to my to the authority. I, I you know, the military put that into me. Take an order. I don't mean like what, two fries and a burger kind of an order, uh, but and and they they saw that and they just. Zoomed in on, on me. I wasn't the only one, but there were many others they did not. So, uh, and I like to say, one thing I, I really admire about my time in boot camp is they, nobody ever asked me my opinion. Not once. Not without a setup. I mean, 
Or they might have asked something like, uh, what do we got here, Prive? Uh, and that was a bomb coming. But anyway, uh, that, that's, I, I, I love that, and there's nothing wrong with it. Don't be so thin-skinned um, and offended. Take good advice. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1, right at the beginning, the first psalm, is watch out who you go with. The first verse of the first psalm is watch who your friends are. Rehoboam walked in the counsel of the ungodly, and a lot of people paid. And we haven't even gotten to that yet. Verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Now remember, they, what we got was just the cronies telling the king what to say, and puppet king that he was, not even that, not even a good sock puppet, uh, or, you know, you know, slip <laughs> over your hand. He's he just terrible. So we're going to be able to skip some of this because we've already covered it. Verse 13. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. Now, you know the historian is a little irked at all this, too. Verse 14, And he spoke to them according to the advice of the kids, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges. Of course, when I said kids, that was an interpretive rendering. Uh, the Hebrew is children, or child. Verse 15, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from Yahweh, that he might fulfill his word, which Yahweh had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. The, the Shilonite, Ahijah the prophet, that is. And what verse 15 is saying in its Hebrew way is that, God told you this was going to happen. He's not forcing anybody to do this. He just saw they were going to do this. And he is directing uh, events. Uh, he's still sovereign, still in control. This is what God said would happen. And here it is happening. So his arrogance, exasperated by inexperience, put those two together, uh, made him weak. And made a wreck of things. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. A haughty spirit is arrogance. It's the Bible's word for an arrogant spirit. Uh, which is the cause of so much sin in, in, in so many people. Um, no surprise to find totally unfit people get elected. And unfit people voting for them to be elected. That's in the Bible, too. 1 Samuel 8.18, Samuel speaking, And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And Yahweh will not hear you in that day. Well, verse 16, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, that's the northern tribes, that's all Israel, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. They voted with their feet. We're leaving. <clears throat> Solomon's first recorded 
decision, official decision, was wise with the baby and, you know, cut the baby in half and called the bluff. Rehoboam's first official decision announced that he was a fool. And for centuries, for centuries before the destruction of the Jewish temple by Nebuchadnezzar, the Jews considered the division of the nation the greatest tragedy in their history. This one moment right here, when they said, we're out. And for 120 years, from Saul through Solomon, it was a united kingdom. With its problems, but it was united. And they measured every calamity by this split. This became, you know, Isaiah talks about it in chapter 7. Ezekiel does in chapter 37. And because uh, Ezekiel, much of his writings uh, took place before the temple fell. So uh, this was a big deal. We're not living there to go through it. They were. Verse 17, But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. So that means there were those who uh, relocated from the northern tribes or, or, or settled in Judah's area. And they said, ah, what is our family? Ah, that's a political thing. We're staying here. And, and they were free to stay. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. <clears throat> but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. <laughs> Whose bright idea was it to send such a high-level official or such a foolish assignment? You know, hey, they just rebelled. Let's send the IRS there. I mean... <laughs> This is the, I mean, it's the arrogance. Is he listening to his cronies still? What should we do? Ah, go get the money from him. I don't know if that happened or not, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, this is the first death caused by the dumb king. Bad leadership can be deadly. I mean, men have been fragged. I mean, <laughs> leaders in combat have been killed by their own men. They were so bad. We'd rather, we'd rather <laughs> do the enemy's work so we could defeat the enemy when it comes to you. Stupidity. It is especially not funny when it is mixed with power. Well, that's proven. You just give a teen a car, right? You've got power now. What are you going to do? You're going to be responsible or are you going to be a, uh, a statistic? What's going to happen? And if, uh, you know, you're driving with another teen, and, uh, which is like a nightmare to me, but <laughs> kidding. if you are and they're going to try to do stupid things, you need to make them stop that car and get out. Uh, you'd be better off walking alive than be carried out in a different way. Well, uh, Rehoboam mounted his chariot in a haste to flee Jerusalem. Smug privilege blinded him to his own accountability. And does he get it now? Do you get it now, Rehoboam? Do you understand how much these people are sick of you? I don't think he ever fully got it, because people like that, unless they're born again, uh, it's a tough one. They have to be full-blown repentance. It's just some people, they are that far out there that you can't swim to them. Something miraculous has to happen. Verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The house of David, the house of Messiah. All the prophecies surrounding, does that mean anything? What should they have done? I, I don't know. I, I, maybe they should have, it would have been nice if they said, well, we're going to temporarily leave until Rehoboam's dead. I don't know. <clears throat> um, verse 20, 
Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back. Now the writer, he moves around a little bit, summarizes here and there. Because we already met him earlier part. They sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. We'll pause there. Because he's going to correct that statement. But this is, you know, what I mean. The way they would, they would write, they'd make this definitive statement, Judah only. But no, we're Simeon. Simeon's not with the north. His tribal allotment was engulfed by Judah until it was absorbed uh, as a tribe. They still remained a tribe. They just didn't have a voice. Uh, and then was Benjamin. Well, verse 21. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So, this split and contempt for Rehoboam is official. The kingdom is now northern, southern, ten, uh, Israel, and Judah. That's now their identity. He shamelessly calls for the army to help him, hoping that mass bloodshed would undo his loss. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no... self-evaluation, accountability, personal, there's none of that. He's just moving right along. Uh, You could say, well, I mean, give the guy a break. He was raised in a palace, spoiled all of his life. He's also educated. He had an ability to look at other people and learn. Uh, That excuse won't fly because there are others that have had it worse than him and have come out of it. Daniel was well-educated. I mean, he's one of the great men of the of great characters in, in all the Bible. Anyway, we're told in First Chronicles that Judah at this time had 470,000 men for war. So this is only a, this is probably their standing army, not calling up the militia yet. Uh, so to the south was Judah, Simeon that had been absorbed, Levi, portion of Levi. The rest of the Levites, more Levites are coming in when Jeroboam starts his idolatry. But Right now, there are Levites there, uh, and Benjamin, four tribes. To the north was Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, two tribes of Manasseh, Naphtali, Reuben, and Zebulun. So, um, still, Judah is very strong, though. As I mentioned, some of the citizens from the ten tribes, they, they settled in Judah. So here's a ruler. He didn't care about other people's blood. He just wants his power. Verse 22. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, verse 23 now, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says Yahweh, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of Yahweh and turned back according to the word of Yahweh. Well, again, we, I, you know, I was looking forward to get to the prophets. And here, here, here they are, Ahijah and Shemaiah here. It's relief. God interfered with, with this war that would have left, incidentally, both kingdoms unprotected from their enemies. 
Skirmishes between the two kingdoms would flare up from, from time to time for a few years. We get that in chapter 14. But what I like about this section now is the anointing in the prophet's voice that held a kingdom and its army in check. He just shows up and says, this isn't God. And they all say, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, what must have been, what was the deciding factor? What was it about this man that puts an army in place? The anointing. They knew. The anointing is, a, you know, uh, when someone is anointed, People know it. Even the enemies, they don't like it, the enemies. They may not call it an anointing, but they know there's a power there. Well, everybody got in place when the prophet showed up there. This won't always be so. I can't wait till we get to King Asa and, you know, the prophet coming to him. And this is going to be some nice exchanges, good and bad, realistic exchanges. Verse 25, then Jeroboam split she- um, built Shechem. Now, Jeroboam now is the king in the north. So, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. Um, So, he's establishing his kingdom, development and fortifications. But he's also going to put the kingdom on the path to destruction. And religion is going to be the reason. Verse 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the king, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. This is important. Verse 27, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. No care for what God said. He had a Bible, you could say, a verbal Bible. He had a word from the prophet of God. The prophecy was illustrated to him so he wouldn't forget it. And then it was fulfilled. And he forgets it or dismisses it instead of doubling down on it. He determined to to take authority from God. The law appointed the temple in Jerusalem as the only place of sacrifice. He's going to overrule that. So there's another migraine committee is, is evolving here. There's another headache. Why? It's so avoidable. That's why it's such it's so bad. It's, all of this is so easily avoidable. It's just looking at it on paper. He deliberately institute, institutes a system to compete against God's system. God says, Here's, here are my feast days. And he says, so, no, I'm going to come up with one to compete so that our people don't go back to Jerusalem to worship. He is the seeker-sensitive king. He did not want his seekers to find the truth, but to remain under his influence. And of course, he says, well, my life depends on it. Well, then trust the prophet then. Trust God. Well, Jeroboam was told by the prophet that God would bless him, would make him like David, if he would just stick with him. But he chose sin as a tool to protect himself rather than obedience. And this isn't the kind of stuff where it's like, well, you know, he had an addiction. Uh, This was just flat-out disobedience. And God did not give him the ten tribes to do this. I wouldn't be surprised if some prophet, he's going to, other prophets are going to confront him later. But he did it nonetheless, verse 28. Therefore, 
The king asked advice. Now, here's the other committee. The king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. They should have stoned him right there. Another committee. He's asking advice, too. Look at the dumb advice he gets. I got a good idea. We've got some leftover gold from the last party. Solomon brought idols into the land for his wives to worship. Jeroboam is bringing idols to the Jews to worship. There's a big difference there. They're both bad. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. He didn't tell them, your religion is false. Religion is inferior. He told them it was an unnecessary burden. You're being burdened. They go all the way down to Jerusalem. Ah, There's better ways to do this. And I've got it. You get the same for less. He's selling it to them. Well, he's not the only guilty one, of course. They were sinful enough to take the broad way to hell. Yeah, it's a broad road. Why squeeze down to Jerusalem? We know what God said. Jeremiah, he comes along trying to, trying to, the last stand. That would be a good title for the book of Jeremiah. The last stand. Uh, he says, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what are you going to do in the end? That's what he says. What are you going to do in the end? When you go to hell, what are you going to do? My people love to have it so. Micah comes along with his sarcasm and says, you know, I think even a drunk would be made a prophet by you people. That's how bad it got. So he reduces their faith to a corrupted tradition. We haven't seen that before. That doesn't exist today. That's sarcasm. Of course it does. There are those who overrule what God has said <clears throat> and have put in its place corrupt tradition. Here, do this. <laughs> well, the birth of the nation, Israel, in Exodus 32 with Moses, there was the descent to calf worship. And here, at the, the, the division of the kingdom, a descent to calf worship again. Satan says, I don't need any new tricks. These guys are dumb enough to go for the old ones. Why should I... <laughs> Why should I work all night at the drawing board like Wiley e. Coyote, you know? Uh, when I just give them the old stuff, just regurgitated Satan in, satanic influence, and it works. Verse 28, therefore the king asked, well, I did that one, didn't I? Did I do that one? Yeah, thank you. I, the mm-hmm's, I don't know what they, they don't sound, I don't know what to, anyway. Uh, well, let's, before we move to verse 29, Second Kings, still, hundred, hundred, few hundred years later, is still, still in the minds of the righteous. The historian then writes, Jeroboam drove Israel from following Yahweh and made them commit a great sin. Now verse 29, and he set up one in Bethel, which means the house of God in that language, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests for every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So he took an unanointed people, uh, people that God forbade from serving before him. Well, that fits because they're not serving Yahweh. They're using his name. That's forgery. No matter what and how the devil influences people, still 
the people who are under that influence are accountable. First John 5.19. We know the world. World is used in the scripture means uh, society, mankind, in rejection of Jesus Christ. And John writes, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel, God speaking through him. Then it was so, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord Yahweh. It's just this outburst. So, you know, then it was so, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says Yahweh. Uh, the interesting study is to go through the woes in the Bible. It'll take you a long time. You, woe is you if, if you start that. Again, Ezekiel 16. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. The beauty of the bride of, of, of Israel was supposed to be attractive and she became something hideous, grotesque to God. Uh, you know, you can go to a place to look at it. There's a church on every corner. None of them fit to go to because they don't honor the word of God. Uh, that has happened, has it not? Uh, there are whole countries where it's that way. Uh, how hard would it be to find a, 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 a good Bible study in the Vatican City? <laughs> uh, anyway, the plunge into idolatry. Uh, it just... Uh, the only thing that stabilized it would be the captivity. But here's Jeroboam. He would rather offend God than seek God. There's a basic formula. And somehow the people managed to find this acceptable and supported this. So he, he wasn't acting alone. He had a whole kingdom in back of him, a split kingdom, appointing the non-Levitical priest. Serious, blatant violation. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he reap question is, for bringing in this counterfeit and this convenience and this corruption, where's Jeroboam now? Was it worth it? Verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. That's the God-ordained one in Judah. And offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel sacrificing to calves that he made. And at Bethel, he installed the priest of the high places which he had made. He made, he made. Man-made religion. It's, it's, it's idolatry. It's total rejection of God. When I say from often from time to time, it, there's speculation, there's revelation. There's man, God revealing what he wants to mankind, and a man making up things, speculating. I think it's this. And Rehoboam has now sunk to that. And whatever sort of man and king he turned out to be, the, the, the people um, followed him. And this is the story of all the book of Kings. What, whatever sort of man the king turned out to be, the people soon followed them. Leadership is important. They followed David when he worshipped Yahweh, when he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And when, he stopped, when, when Uzzah was struck dead and he stopped, the nation stopped with him. When Solomon built the temple, the people were with him. When Jeroboam made the golden calves or whatever other stuff he was doing, the people followed. When Hezekiah seeks to reform, bring restoration of worship, the people go with him. Josiah, the same thing. Josiah comes along and he, he does this revival, incidentally. Revival means something was dead 
and you're bringing it back to life. When, when we talk about a revival, what do we, how do we mean that? Are we saying the church is dead and we're bringing it back to life? Because lost sinners, you know, they're, they're not being revived. They're being saved, born again. Uh, just a thing that just kind of irritates me. <laughs> it's not a revival. Anyway, <laughs> uh, for good or bad, leadership matters. It matters, it matters, it matters. And that's why Satan uses Christians to attack their leaders. And he uses leaders to attack the sheep. Uh, again, Chuck Smith would just remind us all the time, don't beat the sheep. Why would anybody have to say that? Because the sheep can sometimes really, you know, not, usually it's just one or two. It's a small percentage that just can really turn the tide in the heart of a, of a servant. So we'd be... Be aware of those things, and you're better prepared. You won't be sucker punched. Well, verse 33, so he made offerings on the altar, which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. (laughs) The historian is saying, this guy is a creep. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. In vain they worship me. In vain they worship me, teaching as commandments the doctrines of men. And there it is. So to compete with the Feast of Trumpets, he comes up exactly one month later. Oh, we got a better one coming up. And, uh, you know, the heresy of picking out what we like to worship while rejecting what we do not like is widespread to this day. And I think that I would rather be silent sometimes in the presence of a unbeliever who's got kooky ideas than I would in the presence of a Christian who's got kooky ideas. Because one is just he's an unbeliever. But the other one is spreading it in the church, promoting it. And and that the world is looking at. Influencing the world to reject Christ. It does, yeah, it, it's a big deal. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, this evening, we thank you. These lessons, they're, they're sort of exciting being one of your children, but they're pretty, pretty sad knowing that um, it's so easy to come up with a way, to come up with a reason to turn against you. It's, it's heartbreaking. We pray that we would um, be part of the, that uh, camp that you use to further your glory amongst souls to get them saved. May you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.